This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine, and I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. And if you would, turn in your Bible to the book, the epistle, 1 John. That's towards the end of your New Testament, the epistle of 1 John. Now, two Sunday mornings ago, we began a new series on 1 John. And again, you might be newer, so to you, this is all new. But three times, now this is the third time in the history of the church where we've walked through the epistle of 1 John, verse by verse, because it is so important for the church and for us to each live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, last Sunday, pastor asked me to do a standalone message. And I know, like, for us with the kids and all that's going on, it seems like two weeks ago was a long time ago. And so I want to review just a few things before we begin chapter two this morning. The apostle John was the disciple, the Bible says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The apostle John, along with James, was a son of Zebedee. Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder. It's always made me wonder about them and their personalities and their strength. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. The apostle John was the author of the Gospel of John, the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation. At his crucifixion, Jesus asked John to look after Mary his mother, and John did so faithfully. Along with Mary, John spent his latter years in Ephesus, ministering to the churches of Asia Minor. Historical evidence and early church tradition indicate that John wrote his three epistles from Ephesus as an elderly apostle. Eventually, he was arrested. The Romans tried to put him to death by dipping him in burning, boiling oil. Miraculously, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, miraculously, John survived, and he was then sentenced and exiled to the island of Patmos, and it was there on the island of Patmos that he received the revelation of the end, a revelation from Jesus Christ. Of the 12 apostles, including Judas's replacement, Matthias, John was likely the only apostle to live out his years and to experience a natural death, and to not be a martyr. And John writes, 1 John, warning believers about the dangers of false teaching and false teachers. And in history, there's the saying that there's nothing new under the sun. That's true in history, but it's also true in church history. Today, the Western church faces a resurgence of Marcionism along with Gnostic ideas that would lead people to believe it doesn't matter how we live in this world, that our actions and our, our conduct and what we do in the body, it doesn't matter. 
Marcion and the Gnostics both denied Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And because their beliefs were based on Greek philosophy, not the Hebrew scriptures, they believed that this world that God created was less than the spiritual world. And the result was they emphasized salvation through spiritual knowledge, through secret spiritual knowledge, not faith in Christ. And they taught that how one lives in the body, it doesn't matter. And John writes in 1 John to correct these teachings. He was the apostle of love, but he was also a prophet of God because the Lord used him at the end of the first century to warn the church what was ahead in the decades to come. But the truth of what he wrote speaks to the church today and speaks to the challenges and the issues today. Now, two Sundays ago, we were in 1 John chapter 1. And before we get to 1 John chapter 2, let's hit a few highlights from chapter 1. 1 John 1 and verse 1, that which was from the beginning. And who is that? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John's not writing about something that he heard from someone else. He's writing about what he saw, what he witnessed, what he heard, what he saw with his own eyes, what he touched, the word of life. This life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so you may also have fellowship with us. And every invitation, we rehearse the words of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Fellowship with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. Being a part of the family of God, being a child of God is only possible in Jesus Christ. And John says we write to make our joy complete. He goes on in verse five to say that God is light. In him there is no darkness. And this is the challenge today because sadly believers are being led to believe that they can love God and walk in darkness. That they can love Christ and walk in darkness. Believers are being led to believe that grace means that the, the deeds of darkness are okay. That God is going to overlook it. But we're to walk in the light as Jesus Christ is in the light. And we're, we're not to tolerate the darkness or placate the darkness. We are to expose the darkness. And he is the light of the world. But once we're born again and we have his light on the inside of us, we're to let his light shine in us and through us. To not be ashamed. To not be ashamed in the days in which we're living. And John writes, if we claim to have fellowship, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, we have a part to play. We're, we're to walk in the light. We're to live the life. We're to live a life that is holy and pleasing and, and pure before the Lord. And it's more important than ever before, especially in the days in which we're living. So if we walk in the light, we have fellowship. 
If we walk in the light, then we live a life where his blood purifies us from all sin. But notice that is contingent upon us walking in the light. And there are believers that are being led astray and they're being told that grace means you just live however you want. You just do whatever you want. There are believers that are being even told that they no longer need to confess sin or repent of sin. But look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. When we give an invitation and speak of those needing to recommit their lives, we will rehearse verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. We live in a time where people want to redefine sin, that what was sin is no longer sin, that what was not acceptable is now acceptable in 2022. The, the world may say it's okay. And as I said two Sundays ago, you know, I, I promise you in today's culture, you, you can find a preacher somewhere who will tell you some particular sin is okay, but that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it okay with God. And there, there's coming a day, every believer will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat to give an account for what they did with their lives. And there's coming a day when every person who's not a believer, doesn't know Christ, they will stand before Father God at the great white throne judgment. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word, his word has no place in our lives. Now this lines up with what the Apostle Paul wrote. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And see, this is how you might think, man, Pastor Austin, they're, they're tough. They're, they're, they're tough on this or that. They're tough on this or this situation. Th th this is how I know whether or not someone is a believer. When, when someone runs for political office and they want everybody to believe, think they're a believer, but, but they, they say that they've never sinned. They say that they've never had to confess anything or repent of anything. Well, I know from the word of God, they're a liar. I know from the word of God, they're not a believer. I know from the word of God that what Paul said is true. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, God sent his only beloved son on our behalf so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved, so that we could be washed and cleansed and part of the family of God. Isn't it wonderful? But what are we saved for? Are we saved just to keep walking in darkness? Are we saved to just keep living this life like the world? What are we saved for? Chapter 2, my dear children. And this is how we know that this epistle, this letter is written to believers. Again and again, he says, my dear children. One of those in the East, the Orient, that is teaching believers that it doesn't matter how they live, that, that grace means it doesn't matter what we do, that we're not going to have to give an account for our actions. That minister says that 1 John is not written to believers. Problem is, no scholar in church history would agree with them, whether conservative or liberal. 
And we see chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you. Why? I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, we know that we're not perfect. We know that because of Adam's sin and Adam's fall, we have the sin nature. We know from what Paul wrote in Galatians that it, there is that struggle to live by the Spirit and not walk by the flesh. We know that. We know that in this world we are tempted. My father said at 9 a.m. that because of all the evil and all the perversity and all the technology, we face more temptation than has ever been faced in the history of the world. That's all true. But what is the goal? What is the objective? I write this to you so that you will not sin. See, grace is grace because it was costly. And grace is grace because Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven and saved and justified and a part of the family of God. But we're, we're called to something higher. We're called to something greater. We're called to represent the kingdom of God on planet earth. We're called to be salt and light. So what is the goal? What is the objective? So that you will not sin. And someone might say, well, Austin, I messed up. I, I made a mistake. I, I gave into temptation. What do I do? That's why he tells us what to do in chapter 1. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But are, are we to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over? Are we to keep doing the same sinful things over and over and over? And th this is why you read Hebrews. Hebrews is so sobering. Because Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, writes about people abusing and trampling the blood of Christ. So John says, we write this to you so that you will not sin. Now keep your place there and look over at Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Actually, we'll back up a little bit to verse chapter 5, verse 20. One of the things that Paul deals with in Romans is the purpose of the law. The law makes us aware of all the ways in which we have transgressed the commands of God. The law makes us aware of the fact that we are in need of a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Verse 20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death so grace might reign through righteousness how does grace reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through jesus christ our lord chapter six what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so grace may increase by no means we died to sin how can we live in it any longer skip down to verse 11 in the same way count Reckon, consider yourselves, act as if, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let, do not permit, do not allow, do not permit, do not allow, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So see, someone can take part of a verse here and part of a verse there 
and they, they can lead people down a road where they, they come to the conclusion that, that grace means we just live how we want. But if you take the time and you read John or you take the time and you read James or you take the time, and these are letters, they are meant to be read from start to finish. If you take the time and you're honest and you read what Paul wrote, you'll see that Jesus and Paul and James and John, they're on the same page. We are called to live a life that is pleasing to God. And we're called to walk with God. And we're called to walk in the, in the light, not in the darkness. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. Do not offer. Do not offer up like you're presenting a sacrifice. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And there's an example. People will preach verse 14 by itself and verse 14 is true, but part of that is not offering your life and not offering your body, and not offering anything in your life to sin, or to wickedness, or to the darkness. So again, going back to 1 John 2 verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And someone might say, how, how is that even possible? It's possible with the help of God. It's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, as John will get to, Jesus is our example. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul said, not that I have reached the goal, but pressing on toward the goal. In Family Matters, there was a Sunday, I gave the example in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did not lower standards. He raised standards. And you look at the end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually says, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. So that, that's a tall order. That is a, a high standard. And yes, we're not perfect. And yes, there are temptations, but we are to strive to not sin. We are to strive to live a life that is holy and pleasing and pure and acceptable to God. And think about it. Joseph in the Old Testament, betrayed by his own family, sold by his brothers into slavery. Every opportunity to be embittered, every opportunity to be discouraged, every opportunity to be angry at family and angry at God, every opportunity to feel justified and maybe he deserves some of the pleasures of this world because life had done him wrong sold into slavery, a slave in Egypt. Yet when he had the opportunity to sin, he fled. He ran from sin. He fled from, he, he ran from temptation. Well, we have so much more available to us than Joseph did. We're born again. Your spirit is recreated, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You have the endowment and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so grace is not a license to live life however we want. Grace is not a license to live in a way that is displeasing to God. 
I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and people sin. You know, church work, dealing with people, people sin. And sometimes in dealing with a situation where one person has sinned against another, they have to tell people the hard truth that you cannot make another person do what's right. People sin. And we live in a sinful, fallen world. And so he writes, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Find out in Hebrews that he is our high priest. He is our advocate. He is our, our defense. He is our intercessor. You know, maybe you faced something in life where you had to hire an attorney and you thought, you didn't have a good one. We have the best advocate in the entire universe. His name is Jesus Christ. And he speaks on our behalf. He speaks in our defense. And so John, John writes, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And what did we learn in chapter one? When we, when we have sinned, when we have sinned against God, and you've sinned against maybe a, a husband or a wife, or you've sinned against a child or someone in your family, or you've sinned against a brother or sister in Christ, do we deny it? Do we act as if it didn't happen? Do we carry on and keep heading down that road? No. We, we have to deal with the truth. We have to walk in the light. And praise God, the good news is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us or to purify us from all unrighteousness. And we come to a tough verse, verse 3. Someone might say, Austin, why, why do people not like the book of James? And why is the book of 1 John such a, a stumbling block? Well, the apostle of love, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote some tough verses. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him, Jesus. We know that we have come to know Jesus if, everybody say, say if. If we obey his commands. So does someone know Jesus? They don't do what Jesus taught? You know, this summer in the church news, there was big news about someone standing up and saying that Christian people don't need to do what the Bible says about their finances. I watched that for myself, but then I watched the, week, the weeks after. The same minister stood up and said that what Jesus taught before the resurrection doesn't apply to us, don't need to do it, don't need to live it, live it out. I was absolutely horrified. But what does the Bible say? What does the New Testament say? What did John write after the resurrection? We know that we have come to know him if, everybody say if, if we obey his commands. Now, if someone just got saved a week ago or a year ago, they may not know all the commands of God. And there's one command that sums up every command, and that is the love command. And I, don't, I, don't, I was so heartbroken and I was so grieved. That Sunday, my mom said, turn that off, Austin. So I was watching that. And you know what? That command, that minister mocked, it was the love command. And Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he was mocking it, the implication being, it's too hard, it's too difficult, so we ought not try. God gave us his greatest gift. 
his son. And it was the price of his son that covers, and not just covers, it causes our sins to be forgiven and washed away as if they, they never happened, as if they never took place. So we're to live a life that is pleasing to God. We're to live a life that honors what Jesus did on our behalf, that glorifies what he did on our behalf. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So when someone doesn't do what the word says, when someone doesn't live out the commands of God, do they know Jesus? Well, Austin, their bumper sticker says they do. Austin, their, their t-shirt says that they do. Austin, their, their, their Facebook says that they do, and they're, they're about part on their Facebook. But see, if someone doesn't live the life, if someone doesn't obey the commands of God, if someone... If they know, if they've, they've come and they've heard what the word says, if they're not a doer of the word of God, if they don't obey the commands of God, do they know Jesus? Well, the answer is, the biblical answer is no. To obey him is to know him. And we know him if we obey him. And this is no different from what Jesus said in the gospels, because in the gospels, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. We're to live the life. And see, that, that gives us all plenty to work on. That gives us all plenty to work on. If you don't think you have anything to work on this week, you need to study and meditate upon the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Amen. We have all got plenty to work on. Because as we'll see, the, the example is not me or pastor. The example is Jesus Christ. So we're never off the hook in aiming for living a life holy and pleasing and acceptable before him. The man who says, I know him, verse 4, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a... Now see, we live in a culture where no one wants to call anything what it is. We don't want to call sin, sin. We don't want to speak the truth about certain things. And so he says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Now you go to the book of Revelation, which the apostle love was also inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. Jesus Christ himself gave him the revelation but if you go to the end of Revelation and look at the list of those that are left outside the city of God, one thing on the list are those who are liars. And the Bible says that all liars have their place in the lake of fire, which is the second death. And John is very sober. He says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You've heard me rehearse how my parents said there was a point in their lives where they just came to the conclusion that if there was anything in their lives that they were doing, the Bible said don't do, they would stop doing. And if there was anything in their lives they, they weren't doing, the Bible said do, they would start doing. And that has given their lives great power. And again, that gives us all plenty to work on, amen? We all ought to be growing. We all ought to be making progress. We all ought to be maturing. We ought not be at the same place as last year in any area of life. Verse five, but if anyone obeys his word, say, say, that's me. It's all right. You're like, man, this is heavy. It was quiet at 9 a.m. too. 
If anyone obeys his word, say it again, say, say that's me. See, see we're, we're to live the life. We're to obey the commands of God. We're to be doers of the word. We're to take action on the word. And he writes, if anyone obeys the word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So who's the example? Now, Pat, my father does his best. I do my, my best to follow his example, amen? But who's the example? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Who's the example? See, it's not some popular person on Instagram. That, that's not the example. Someone comes to me and says, well, well Austin, you know, everybody's doing it. That, that's not the criteria. Well, well, Austin, I know, and I know what the Bible says, but, but you know, these, these ministers are saying it. So who's the example? Who's the standard? Who's the one we're going to stand before someday to be rewarded, but to give an account for what we did with our lives? It's Jesus. So he's the example. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That gives us all plenty to work on, amen? Because Jesus was love. He was love in the flesh, grace in the flesh. And yes, he said some tough things, but he always spoke the truth in love. And that's the example. That's the example we're to follow. That's the example we're, we're to live up to. And we find that example in the Gospels. If you're a new believer, you might have been a believer a while and you've not spent much time reading the Word of God. Yes, I would encourage you to start with the epistles, the letters. But also, you, you need to read the Gospels and you need, to, you need to discover who Jesus is. And the shortest is Mark. Read Mark's Gospel first. You know, that was the thing that changed Oral Roberts' life and ministry. He's a powerful, great man of God in the 50s. Wonderful healing evangelist, did a lot for the kingdom of God. He pastored a small church in Enid, Oklahoma. It's still there. It's great. It's in our, if you're ever driving through Enid, you gotta go, gotta go see it. Look it up on Google. But he was pastoring a small church. He tells some of those stories in the book we've recommended, The Miracle of Seed Faith. But what changed his life, he set 40 days apart into God. But he spent those 40 days reading the gospels again and again and again, and again. And he had a revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus is the example. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So who's the example? Did Jesus walk in darkness? Were there any deeds of darkness in Jesus' life? Did Jesus lie? Did Jesus go around telling people that they did not need to obey the commands of God? In fact, Jesus honored the commands of God. And even though that parts of the old were coming to an end, even though the ceremonial law and the sacrificial law were coming to an end, when the lepers were healed, he told them to follow what the old covenant said about following the regulations. Why? Because they had not yet come to an end. He honored his father. He honored his father's word. He, he honored the commands of God. And then when he rehearsed the love command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, that was not new. 
See, pe people will head down the most erroneous roads. I remember once there was a lady, she was a teacher, didn't make it very long. And she said, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. I knew as a child that was wrong. I knew from Sunday school and being in church that was wrong. We have a new covenant with a better high priest and better promises, but God is God. And so she said that, but I knew. I knew it was wrong. And so we, we, we find out about who our wonderful God is. Dear friends, verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. See, see people think that, well, the God of the Old Testament is justice and judgment and the New Testament, love and grace, and we just live however we want. But it is a misreading of the Word of God. And so in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 22, when Jesus rehearses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He, he's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting Leviticus. Some of them might say, Austin, those things are in the Old Testament? Yes. And it's that command that sums up every command. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command, its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Who's the light? And who, whose light are we to let shine in and through our lives? If we're born again, if we're part of the family of God, who do we represent? Who do we represent at work? Who do we represent when we have lunch or dinner out with our family? Who do we represent on social media? and the way we act and talk and conduct ourselves, e even in, even yes, in our appearance, who do we represent? We represent Jesus. We represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yes, are we called to a higher standard? Yes, are we called to walk in the light and not in darkness? Are we called to walk in truth and not lies? Yes, the true light is already shining. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. So we're, we're to live the life. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul wrote about how we're, we're not to do anything that would cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And they, they dealt with an issue in their day we don't deal with today. In Roman culture, it, it was a world full of false gods and idols, and every, everywhere you went, there were idols. And they would present food offerings and drink offerings to these idols. But of course, an idol can't eat. And there would be food left over. What do you do with the food left over? What would the Romans do with it? They would eat it. Now, I always explain this to my New Testament class here at St. Paul's. Get a little Buddha statue off eBay, put them in a classroom and lock the door, before that, get a Domino's pizza. It's going to be there four hours later. It's going to be there eight hours later. They're young people. They're here at school. They might think, that looks good. I want to eat it. And in Paul's day, there, there were believers, and they, there was discord about this. And Paul wrote that we're not to do anything that would lead a brother or sister in Christ into sin. We're, call, we're again, we're called to a higher standard. 
not a lower standard. You've heard me rehearse that story of one day our family was at lunch and took Samuel to wash his hands and we were walking back to our, our table and there was a young couple and they were sitting with a, a young minister, maybe, maybe a youth pastor, young couples pastor, whatever, whatever it was and he, he was rehearsing this new thing to them. Well, we all sin every day. My sins are just different than your sins. That, that, that is the lowest common denominator. There's no victory in living that way. With Christ, you can have the victory. With Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome any sin, any besetting sin, any stumbling block. You can live a life of victory. I don't care if your great-grandfather struggled with it, your grandfather struggled with it, your father struggled with it. You don't have to struggle with it. You can have the victory over it in Christ Jesus. But you got to see from the Word of God that God wants you to be free. You got to see from the Word of God that we're called to a higher way of life and a higher standard and a higher example. And His name is Jesus. Got to see from the Word of God, we're called to walk in the light. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Jesus gave an example of this in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Like he is all over the place today. been a different Bible, so I'm looking for it. But Jesus dealt with this in the, the Sermon on the Mount, that if there's something between you and a brother, before you come to the house of God, before you, you present an offering, before you present a sacrifice, before you present a gift on the house of God, before, before you come and worship on a Sunday, first go and make that right. First go and fix that situation. First go and make that situation right with that brother or sister. Why did, why did Cain murder Abel? He was jealous. He was envious because Abel had found favor with God. And the Bible says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So if we walk in the light and if Christ is our example, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, it is everything. You might say, Austin, someone's done me wrong. Someone's Abuse me, someone's taken advantage of me. Love them, forgive them. Don't let them do it again. Keep your distance, amen? Love doesn't mean that we have to let people use us or abuse us or take advantage of us. But how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, it is everything. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. You might say, Austin, in my life, I'm, stub I'm stumbling. If you're stumbling, you're walking in darkness. If you're stumbling, you're not walking in the light. If you're, you're stumbling, you're not, as David said, walking by the light of God's word in your daily life and in your daily decisions and your daily actions. We're to walk in the light as he is in the light. And part of that is to walk in love. So there's nothing in us that makes us Stumble. See, when you hate, you're going to stumble. When you're trying to do a brother or sister wrong, you're going to stumble. 
When you, when you take advantage of a brother or sister, you're going to stumble. When, when you, as my father said at 9 a.m., when, when you go to lunch and you're, you're talking bad about and bad-mouthing a, a brother or sister in Christ, what's going to happen? You're going to stumble. And so when we walk in love, that, that, that's cleansing. That is purifying. When you walk in love, there's nothing in your life that is going to make you stumble. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So we're to walk in the light. We're living a sinful, fallen world. There's temptation all around us. There are times when we do sin. But when we do sin, we're to confess that sin. We're to repent of it. We're to turn from it. We're to obey the commands of God. And the example is Jesus. So we all have plenty to work on. Whose example are we to live up to? Jesus. So we all have plenty to work on. So my challenge to you is to obey the commands of God. My challenge to you is in any part of your life where you haven't obeyed the commands of God or you've not been a doer of the word, my challenge to you is to obey the commands of God. My challenge to you is to walk in the light. And if there's any part of your life, there's some darkness, my challenge to you is to let the light of God's word shine on that and to get the darkness out of your life. You might say, Austin, what is that? You, you ask the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you. I believe even now the Holy Spirit is moving on hearts. We're to walk in the light. We're to walk in obedience. We're to live a life that is pure and pleasing and holy to God. We're to obey his commands. And who's the example? Oh, well, Austin, you know, I'm doing better than so-and-so. Who's the example? Well, Austin, have you seen this or have you seen that? You know, I'm doing, who is the example? Whose example, whose standard do we hold ourselves to? Jesus. There's coming a day we're gonna stand before him. We're gonna give an account for our lives. And we won't be able to say, well, Jesus, you know, compared to so-and-so or Jesus compared to this person or that. No, it's you before Jesus giving an account for what you did with your life, for what you did with your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. So we're to live ready for that, mindful of that, prepared for that. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and perhaps you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never given him your life. You've never asked him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. God loves you. And his love is proven by the fact that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says that he gave his son that so whoever believes upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. This world that we live in, it'll tell you that you can live however you want. It'll tell you that you can come up with your own path to God. It'll tell you that if you're just kind of good enough, that is sufficient, but it's not. Those are all lies. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of a savior. His name is Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by 
me. If you're here today and say, Austin, I want to give him my life. I want to be a part of the family of God. That's you this morning. Wherever you're seated, raise your hand. Raise it up high to where I'll see it and I'll know. You want me to pray? Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart, into my life. You might also be here today and at a time in your life you prayed prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know, you know in your heart you've not been living a life that is pleasing to God. You've been doing your own thing and you have paid the price for it. The Bible says that the wages of sin, it is death. When we do our own thing, there's a price to be paid. But praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his grace. Because as we've seen two Sundays ago and today, 1 John 1 and verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he is just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. You can have a fresh opportunity to live for God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me, pray with me. I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with God today. I want to have peace with God before I go. That's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, raise it up high to where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has gone forth as a seed planted into good ground, and we thank you that it will bear a harvest 30, 60, and 100-fold. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for what Jesus said being true, that your spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. He convicts and he leads us and guides us into all truth. And so I thank you for your spirit in each of our lives, showing us what needs to change, what needs to be done differently, what needs to be brought into the light, areas where we've not obeyed that we need to obey. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, right now, there's anyone here in this room, anyone watching or listening, now or later. And I, if they're in a situation where they have struggled and struggled and struggled with something or some sin, but they desire to be free of it. Heavenly Father, I ask you right now by the power of your spirit to set them free and to give them victory over it that it would no longer be a stumbling block in their lives. Set them free now in Jesus' name. And we plead the blood of Jesus over their life. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. And Satan, we say in the name of Jesus, you, you take your hands off and you leave them alone. They belong to God. They're, they're a child of God. You leave them alone and you stop harassing and tempting and leading them astray. In Jesus' name. The Lord is gracious, and the Lord will help you with whatever you want help with. The Lord will set you free of whatever you want to be set free of. 
the Lord, if you want, there's something, you want the victory, God will give you the victory. God will give you the victory. But then once he does, you have to do as John says, and that is walk in the light. Yeah, I'm a young guy, only 40. I like to consider that young, amen? I like to consider, classify myself with the young folks. But I think at 40 years old, one of the saddest things I see is God doing a wonderful work in someone's life, the Lord setting them free, the Lord giving them the victory, but then not seeing them the next Sunday and not seeing them the Sunday after that and not seeing them the Sunday after that. So they, they have the victory, but then they don't walk in the light. They have the victory, but then they don't live for the Lord. Inevitably, months go by and years go by and you find out they're back where? They're back in the darkness. And that is not God's best. It is not God's best. And Jesus said in the Gospels that the house, when someone is set free, that the house is swept clean. When the house is swept clean, you got to fill that house with the things of God. You got to be in church and fill that house with the things of God. You and the house is swept clean. You got to got to fill your house up with the word of God. Because when the house is swept clean, but it's not filled with anything, that spirit going through arid places returns, but returns with seven other spirits. And Jesus said the person is worse off than they were at the beginning. So when God does something for us, we're to walk in the light. And when God gives us the victory, we're to walk in the light. And what is God's best? It's what Paul wrote about, from victory to victory to victory to victory. Amen? From testimony to testimony, from testimony to testimony. Paul wrote, thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumphal procession. See, that, that is what the Christian life is to be, a life of victory. Amen? I well, hope the message was a blessing, encouragement to you today.